Episode 37 of Playing It Wrong. I'm your guy with a live studio of two dogs. This time they're napping. Even though the little one got stepped on by the big one, so he's been limping around on one of his paws the last couple days. But he's getting better. So, what's up in this episode? Well, let's see. The meat of it's going to be all sorts of things. I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit of organization. We're going to talk about swords and wizardry. And we're going to talk about low fantasy gaming. Not necessarily the genre, but the RPG itself. And, of course, we're going to have readings from the ancient tomes. This time we're going to talk about... We're going to move ahead to Blackmore. Something from Blackmore. Yay. And, of course, we've got Collins, and we're going to have a random question from me, because I haven't gotten one, but, hey, I do random questions. And, of course, as you can tell, this episode is still getting up late. Which means I had another three-day weekend. Yeah, three-day weekend. You're burning up those vacation days for the end of the year because I'm too stupid to take them any other time. Uh, yes, I have it right there on my to-do list in big, all-capital red letters. Right, because i got like three projects I'm trying to work on. My muse immediately said, no, dude, you're not going to freaking write. Real life just pointed at me and laughed. Nah, you're not getting anything done. So, yeah, I did not get it anywhere near as much as I thought it would get done. So that is my pity fest for the weekend. But hey, let's move on to those call-ins. And the first one we got is Larry Hamilton from the Follow Me and Die Anchor cast. Hello, Larry. Hey, Chuck. This is Larry, Follow Me and Die. On the Game Science Dice and Rolling, back in the day, I was all about it has to roll, it has to roll. When I first got Game Science Dice, I didn't like them that much. But talking to Luzaki, they're designed to do that. It's called breaking, and if you really want the feel of rolling, I guess a dice cup or a dice tower or shake them up real good in your hand, at least that's what I do, um, and they work for me because they, like I said, roll fair on RuneQuest. Back in the day, we played once as a sample thing, and I do recall that character generation seems to take a while. There are a lot of concepts that got glossed over, so not understanding some of that made it different and we spent so much time generating characters that whatever adventure we played was not memorable and didn't last very long um so anyway uh call of cthulhu i played that way back then too ah thank you larry yes i've watched i think just about every uh, youtube video that luzuki has done on the game science dice and i will know this i know this is honest as I can. I know my thing about the dice rolling is purely psychological and has nothing to do with the outcome of the dice. It's just there. And as far as, yeah, RuneQuest and Kalkafu being tough character generation and quick deaths, yep, um, that is why I know it's going to be a while before I run RuneQuest. The group wants to play it. That is going to why I have plenty of time, because I'm going to do some uh, Swords and Wizardry white box first, of sitting down and typing out a cheat sheet that will let the, char the, the characters, the players, hopefully expedite their character generation a bit. Um, and I know it's going to be a pain, but that little bit of work and having everybody have a copy of it will greatly speed things up. 
I mean, crap. I've watched people generating characters for Hero System, and that's a lot worse than basic, basic role-playing from Chaosium. Hey, but thanks for calling in, Larry, and keep up the good work on your podcast. And folks, if you're not listening to Larry's podcast, listen to it. It's Follow Me and Die. And next up on our call-in extravaganza is Tim Shorts from Grothridge Manor. And it's more about skills in OSR systems. Here we go, Tim. Hey, Chuck. Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor. How I use skills in my game is I don't really have any base skills. Like if somebody needs to roll, I don't know, like an attribute or a challenge thing, what I do is I kind of set a challenge level, say it's a 15, but then we can role play it and they can lower that challenge level or raise that challenge level depending on how they role play the situation. And then what they do is they roll a d20, they add their attribute penalty or bonus depending on and their level because I figure their level with their experience would give them you know uh, their their experience so they would get a bonus for that so like a third level thief who's trying to sweet talk somebody uses maybe their charisma and they got a plus one for that and they're a third level thief so they get plus four and depending on how they role play they could lower or raise that challenge level so see you later and thank you for calling in, Tim. And, hey, you know, I forgot to mention this last episode because I was, like, totally being an idiot. But I also want to say thank you for Perdition Pass. I got my little patron package in the mail a couple weeks ago, and it looks awesome. So, once again, if you're listening to this, Gothridge Manor has a Patreon. Oh, and by the way, so does Larry Hamilton at Follow Me and Die. Both of them have pat- Patreons. So, support folks in the OSR making cool stuff. And yes, I'm planning on doing one next year, maybe. Anyway, on to Tim's uh, call-in. Yes, that is a good, decent, solid skill-type checks. Um, I don't know what else I can say. It's, yeah, I've used that before, too, especially in... Um, uh, what's Oh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. I just did a total brain fart there. God, I need more caffeine, or I need my muse to get off her ass and start helping my brain here. Anyway, all right. So first up, I want to talk about like DM organization, and specifically the mighty DM notebook. Because, well, there's a lot of talk about best supplements and everything else, and Glenn Halstrom of Old Man Grognard, or Grognard Radio, also known as Old Man Grognard, has done a lot of really good podcasts, follow him as well, on stuff to organize, get inspiration, and everything else. My organizi- organizational thing is a three-ring binder. I use document protectors. And because there are so many good charts and tables and little tricks out there, I have picked and chosen which ones I want to use, printed them from the PDF, just those pages, and put them in the notebook. That doesn't mean I didn't go crazy and go ahead and buy hard copies of some of the books like, oh, Vornheim or uh, New Big Dragon Games D30 books. Like, I especially have the D30 DM Companion and the D30 Sandbox Companion. And, of course, there's also those ancient texts that, well, I got in my younger days where there are no PDFs for. Things like the City Supplement from, who is this from? Oh, this little company called Chaosium, a universal supplement. I also have a Armory D30 table ch- book. I also have uh, some of the city books from Plague Publishing. I have my original Lankmar City of Adventure from TSR. <coughs> and I just drop stuff off because I'm going through my shelf of wonder here. And, of course, there's the Judges Guild Ready Ref Sheets, which I no longer have my originals, but I got the PDF. But, hey, 
This way I carry just what I need. I print the pages just what I need. And not only that, just go online. You will find 8 million different charts and tables for whatever you happen to think of. Uh, like Dyson's dodecahedron tables. They're D12s. Um, and they're just all over. And let's see OSR. Pick and choose what you want, use what you want, and have fun. That is my little trick for the day of make your own notebook. Now, I also mentioned I was going to talk about swords and wizardry. And a lot of this is going to come back all together, trust me. All of this. Um, this is more of a response to Colin to somebody else. So Colin Green of Spike Pit, another OSR anchorite, so listen to his podcast, Spike Pit, called in and asked me about sharp swords and sinister spells, which was last episode. But also in the mix, uh, while listening to uh, Eric Tenkar's podcast, he had called in Eric and asked him about swords and wizardry, and Eric gives him a really good answer. But I'm going to throw in my... Anyway, I could have called in, but I felt more like I want to, well, I hate to say this, but evangelize a little bit on swords and wizardry. And I'll probably do a much more detailed one later on, but the key component for me on swords and wizardry is it is so easy to convert anything into. And I'm one of those evil grognards that likes ascending armor class. Single saving throw makes things easy. And it's also, knowing the system is also a good crutch to kind of do some buy-your-teeth conversion in other systems. If you remember in the earlier podcasts, when I was talking about the OSR and stuff, about how I ran Death Frost Doom with 5e and converted on the fly, yeah, what my players didn't know is my conversions on the fly were I was converting everything to Swords and Wizardry in my head and like tripling or quadrupling the number of hit points because 5e characters put out so much damage. But yeah, that's how I converted it in my head. I just converted the monsters to Swords and Wizardry monsters. Saving throw, based off their hit die, their attack bonus, based off their hit die. Pretty much left the damage the same because those are kind of weird monsters in Death Frost Doom. So. But yeah, Swords and Wizardry is a wonderful retroclone to use. Now, it doesn't say that everything's bad. I, I backed the Labyrinth Lord Kickstarter, which hopefully they'll get that done soon so I can get that on my shelf. And uh, as a kind of a shout-out for someone call in or someone post comment somewhere of tell me about bx essentials i have not heard a single bad thing about it but for some reason i'm going if i've got labyrinth lord do i really need it hmm anyway let me know and yes i know i can get the uh rtf files for free i know that and i've looked at a couple of them but okay anyway on to my meat of the subject low fantasy gaming all right what is this this is another rpg uh, it's hard to say... I'm not going to call it OSR, but it's OSR-friendly, OSR-adjacent, dare I say. Uh, very much its own thing. You can see OSR fingerprints, you can see 5e fingerprints, you can see some Dungeon Call Classics fingerprint. But it's got some really cool concepts. And this goes back to my thing about getting stuff, about franking gaming and stuff taking things from other games, and also building your DM notebook, because there's some really cool charts in there, which I'll get to in a little bit. Let's start with some basics about what makes low fantasy gaming slightly different, or its core features, from according from its website and from its authors, because there's a nice summary right here that I don't have to go through my PDF and look for. Well, let's see. It's If you're familiar with D20 games, it will be no problem. Okay, five classes only. Barbarian, Bard, Fighter, Rogue, and Magic User. That's right, no Clerics, because Clerics get healing spells. Magic Users get healing spells. Twelfth level max, which means you're not superheroes. 
Willpower perception replace wisdom. So you have seven stats. Technically you have eight because you have luck as well, but luck's a little different. You have a skill system which is not very OSR-ish, but hey, I like the way it works. It's simple. It's got an exploit system. The best way to think about that is Mighty Deeds of Arms from DCC for everybody or doing combat maneuvers and stuff, and stuff like that. Combat is pretty dangerous. Um, magic is where I really like it, is dark and dangerous magic. And um, that pretty much is, oh, the core mechanic except for combat, which is your usual ascending armor class and rolling to hit. The rest of your saving throws and skill checks are the roll under mechanic, like sharp swords and sinister spells and uh, black hack and all the hack hacks. So where do we see some of the dungeon crawl classic influences? Well, first of all, there's a luck stat, which is 10 plus half your level. There's also a kick over the body mechanic when you reach zero hit points and the funky dice. Now here's a prime example of funky dice. Fighter's hit points. Your hit die for a fighter is not the D8 or the D10, depending on which edition you're using. Fighter gains a D5 plus 5 every level. So it gets rid of that crap. I rolled one point for my hit points after fighting and scraping my way through this entire level. And the rest of the classes do similar things. Some of them use weird dice. I think the magic user uses a D3 plus 3. And ability score modifiers. Yes, you still use modifiers with a roll under mechanic. And it's interesting. Just hang on. And range from the minus 3 to plus 3, okay, from the 3 to 18. So it's it's what you're used to, nothing really exceptional there. Now what's interesting is, like the saving throws. The saving throws are based off luck and an attribute. So it's a roll under your luck, but you modify it by the ability score modifier that you're trying to use. So the infamous dodging a fireball would be dex. Got it? So if you have a high dex, that modifier is makes your luck higher for the number you need to roll under. I hope the way I explained that makes sense, and I hope I read it right the way I'm explaining it. So pretty much all your saving throws work off luck plus an attribute. Now it has a skill list similar to 5th edition, which, you know, okay, take a word it is. But once again, it works on a roll under mechanic. If you're proficient, it's plus one to that attribute you have to roll under. That's it. So it kind of keeps a very simple system that's, like I said, OSR adjacent. Now throw in also um, advantage and disadvantage, and they have what's called great successes when you roll under half, or if you really blow it, if you've got a low one for if you roll over one and a half times the uh, target number in a natural 20 when you're trying to roll these up. Now there's also a thing called a re-roll pool. So if you're making a look check, or a skill you're proficient with, you have a certain time, number of times per session, equal to your level, that you can re-roll. It's a bit cinematic, but hey, it's, it's, it's tweakable. And it has the, the, the one of the key rules of anything in OSR game. Rulings not rules, and the rules are just guidelines, so you can change it however you want to. Now here's where it gets real interesting, at least for me, because I'm one of those weird folks that likes the weirder magic systems that are, you know, not so much, well, literally fire and forget. The system that low fantasy magic gaming, low fantasy gaming uses is what they call dark and dangerous magic. And it works fairly simply. It works 
very similar to if you've ever had a wild mage in the group. That's the way it does. First spell you cast today, roll a d20 on natural one, something happens. Second spell, one to two. Third spell, one to three. And it keeps going up till either the adventure ends or something goes crazy. Now, this isn't a spell fumble chart. It's more of a side effects or additional effects. So it's a D100 chart, so it's a long chart to put in your book. But it has things that could be good, things that could be bad, like 0102, nothing happens, or you're secretly possessed by an alien entity for 1D10 hours. Yay. Um, you can get weird things of growing tentacles. Uh, temporarily. Sorry, head was slipping. Um, you've got um, the spell only lasts half as long. And, of course, rolling higher means, well, other stuff happens. What's on the other end of the spectrum here? Double odd. Claim. Gain the following effect. Permanently. Roll d6. So, bad things happen. Um, your next spell causes maximum damage and or effects for the maximum number of targets. You transform basically into a gibbering mouth for 1d4 minutes. Yeah. Um, a random limb turns black, rots, and drops off over the next 1d20 hours. The rot can be stopped, but regenerate spell can restore the lost appendage. You cast a random spell instead. Yay! So it's all these things that are interesting and weird to make magic eh, a little more interesting. And, um... Oh, there's a good one. Live targets are immune to your magic for 24 hours. That sucks. But above that is your spells ignore magic resistance for 24 hours. So yes, there's good stuff there too. It's wild magic. So once again, like I was saying, it's got an interesting skill system, and it's got an interesting magic system, and it's got interesting tables and charts you can use no matter what game you're playing. And I keep rubbing my mouth against the microphone. Hang on. So, sorry if there was some scratchy audio there. I'm not going back and re-recording it, because I do this thing in total stream of consciousness like an idiot. But the PDFs, there's adventures and character sheets and everything else, are free on their site. I'm going to put the site in the, in the uh, show notes. They also are now on uh, one bookshelf, you know, RPG Now, drive through RPG, Pickpocket Press. I cannot say that three times. So, it don't matter what game you play, there's always games where you can always lift stuff to put it into your game to make it a little more interesting. You know, just like the title of the podcast is, Playing It Wrong, I never run anything as written. I always change stuff up. I always kit bash. I always do that. I always house rule. I love that stuff. So go ch check out uh, Low Fantasy Gaming. It, it's worth the time to at least check out and like grab some charts and stuff and at least some random ideas to throw into your games. And up next, Readings from the Ancient Tomes of Wisdom. Now, if you remember when I started doing the readings, it was going to the little brown books and, well, finding something to talk about. And for me, that also includes the supplements to the little brown books. And in this episode, we're going to skip up to Supplement to Blackmore by Dave Arneson. There's a whole section here that I am so glad that it died on the vine. There are things that you may not remember, but in Blackmore... There are hit locations for combat in D&D. Using hit locations. That's right. Now, it's even worse than that. You've, of course, the D20 roll. Of course, various charts to break it down by the morphology of your target. And then, of course, we have the 
damage allocation of 15% of your hit points are in your head, 80% in your chest, 60 in your abdomen, 20 in your arms, 25 legs, and optionally tail has 20 and wings 10 if your creature happens to have those. Now, um, that was for humanoids. Now it goes on, you've got flyers and, and various other things and allocations by like morphology, like a snake is head, upper body, lower body. And yes, these all add up to more than 100% because, well, it kind of... Now this is also in RuneQuest 2, but um, works kind of the same way, but at least you have armor on different parts of your body. This doesn't quite go into the armor class by hit location, thank god, but this is very much an idea that I'm glad it died. And I can proudly say, this is one of those things that I'm talking about is, we actually, back in the day, did try to use this. And, well, when your magic user gets hit in the head with a rock for two points at low levels, guess what? Um, he pretty much uh, bit the farm because, well, let's see. Let's say average hit points for, you know, D4, third level, let's even say max at first, so that's four... Nine hit points on nine hit points, and then fifteen percent of nine is math is bad, math is bad, math is evil works out to like one that's right, one hit point, so one hit point of damage to the magicster's head kills him, yeah, that's why we stopped using it. But that is something from the ancient tomes. Like I said, I'm glad it didn't didn't make the cut. Now there's some stuff in here that did make the cut, which is good. Remember, what does Blackmore have? It had it had lots of neat monsters. What did it have for classes again? I'm, oh, it had monks and assassins. Yay, both cool. I haven't played enough monks though. Oh crap! Last time I played a monk, and I think it was like only like the second or third time was 5e, and we're able to play. With Eberron races, so I made a Warforged monk who was, well, it was basically Bender from Futurama with my beaten stick. And, you know, sitting there going, kill all humans. I was going to do a random question, but you know what? I'm going to go back to the one question I asked earlier. And this is more of a question for anyone listening. Uh, tell me about BX Essentials. Like I said, I've looked at reviews. I've read reviews. I watched Ben on Questing Beast's review. I've watched Old Man Grognard's review. I've not heard a single bad thing about it. But some reason down on my gut, I'm going, do I really need this? So, hey, call in. I'm going to, of course, as usual, put it on the blog so you can leave comments on the blog. My usual thing. Or leave comments on Facebook or now on MeWe if you're following me there. I'll sometime put links to MeWe up there. I'll figure it out. Don't worry. All right. Till then. Thanks for listening. This episode's gone on long enough. Dogs are been quiet way too long. And I'm betting they're getting ready to go crazy. All right, you know the drill. Subscribe, and here comes the end credits. And thanks for listening. Please visit the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog. That's theymightbegazebos.blog. And the letter B, not B, spelled out. Or visit us on Facebook to search for They Might Be Gazebos. Ask us questions and you might get an answer. If not, we'll just make up the questions and the answers. Remember, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, and have fun. 
intro music is Metal Mania by Kevin McLeod, licensed under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license. Please visit his website at incompetech.com. That's incompetech.com. Really, visit it. There's also downloadable graph paper and hex paper. Additional sound effects from freesound.org, used under a Creative Commons 0.1.0 universal license.